Welcome to Bonus Features. Some might call it supplemental material, but it's so much more than that. It's the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, critics, academics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love to get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me this week is Blake Howard. Blake is the founder of One Heat Minute Productions, who has put out many podcasts, including Increment Vice with Travis Woods, Josie and the Pussycats, All the President's Minutes, and Miami Nice. But why we have him on this week is that he was the producer of One Heat Minute, the podcast that broke down Michael Mann's heat minute by minute with various guests that ended with an epic interview where Blake interviewed the man himself, Michael Mann. So since this is our Manhunter week, we thought who better than to bring on and talk about uh, Michael Mann's filmography than Blake. So me and Blake sat down and shot the shit about a theory I have that Black Hat is essentially a remake of Manhunter with computer hackers, Chris Hemsworth, globe-trotting intrigue, and machine gun fights. Does Blake agree? Well, you're going to have to find out right now as we sit down for about 90 minutes and talk Black Hat, Manhunter, and all things Michael Mann. Take a listen. So how are you? How is Australia? Yeah, Australia's good. Pretty good. Um, I'm good. Family's good. Um, it's, you know... I don't like talking about it to my American friends because we're okay. Like we're pretty, we're pretty good. Like there hasn't been many cases of community transmission so far. This like last month in New South Wales, there's only kind of a few that have popped up, um, which is good. Uh, Victoria, our one of our southern states, had it the worst, like our neighbours, and so there's still a lot of border closures in the country, but things are getting back to some semblance of normal. Yeah. Um, there was a recent school holidays, and there were lots of people taking trips and things like that and i would like more people to be wearing masks in shopping centers and stuff that they're not and it's just because i think people are you know in our country because of the the incredibly low number this like tiny little revolving number that keeps sort of happening everyone's getting relaxed like it should be fucking over but like this is the time where you're like no if you're just really hard on it for like a couple of weeks there's just no more cases in a state and then that's it like that that, that's done um but yeah so it's it's kicking along good but other than that i'm good yeah, we haven't yeah. had real major cases either. I don't know if you noticed. It's all it's all going down. No major political figures have contracted it or anything. I saw. Yes, we're doing great. But uh, thank you for you know joining me today to talk about Black Hat and Manhunter and all things Michael Mann because you are. Can we call you an expert? I think we can call you an expert. Seeing you, you did one heat minute. You interviewed the man himself. Yeah. So, like, you know what? I'm fine with it. I'm going to call you an expert. You absolutely can call me an expert. <laughs> but I wanted, I specifically, specifically wanted to talk to you about Black Hat um, because a, it's weird. I, I feel like we're now far enough removed to where we can actually start talking about it in almost like a critical reevaluation sense because the movie was not, I mean, it wasn't well received. I remember I reviewed it for, you know, birth movies, death. And uh, let's say the consensus was split at that site. And then, but in general, like it, it's kind of seen by a lot of people as like a failure. And then you have his hardcore devoted folks like me and you that 
love it. So yeah, I want to I want to quali- I want to qualify something first, okay. which is that I wasn't a lover of it to begin with. Really? No, I I watched it the first time and I saw like big chunks of ideas that he'd executed in other things better in my mind that he hadn't quite found a way to kind of like, I don't know, to gel in a rhythm in Black Hat. And then maybe in the last eight months, I watched his recut version. Yeah. uh, That he did for FX and TV. And if you're in Australia, you have to rely on internet boffins who've listened to One Heat Minute to contact me by private DM messages like Black Hat hackers and to send me links for the reassembled version that are not available in this country. Well, it's not really, it's not available in America really either. I had to DVR it and watch it on DVR for the time. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly the case. And so even some American friends have gone, give me your contacts or give me your link of how you got a copy of that version. So I went back at it after the recut version and then watched the theatrical cut version. And I've like, was more in its rhythm. It's like way more than it. People even say with like Miami vice, people will say it's oh, it's a mood movie or it's a vibe movie. Black hat is truly a mood movie. Like you have to be in my mind, like in the right frame of mind to just let something come at you with the littlest amount of detail or like story. And you kind of just have to be in the, in the space that he's creating and let it wash over you and then sort of flow through. Cause it reverse engineers itself. Like it's like, it starts big and colossal impacts, nuclear threat. And then it comes down to a knife fight in a square. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess my only issue with, it is, it does have a heavy mood. I rewatched it last week in preparation for uh, this talk. It is as moody as, say, uh, Miami Vice or Public Enemies, a lot of his digital work, let's say. But to me, it's the most linear uh, of his digital films, probably outside of Collateral, because Collateral is, works. It, it itself is also a mood movie, but that movie is very, all right, here's the concept. Cab driver, hitman, five hits in a night. Yeah. If he gets through it, he lives. Like, it's a very basic concept. But, like, I don't think that Black Hat is as abstract, let's say, as Miami Vice, to where, like, Miami Vice is just, like, I feel more in tune of that being a vibe movie to where you kind of fall into it. I mean, literally are thrown into it depending on which cut you prefer to where, uh, you know, I remember theatrical seeing, is the right answer. Just yeah. Well, the theatrical <laughs> is 100% the right answer, but there are <laughs> hard for the director's cut, um, which also kind of throws you in with the boat race and everything right, right off the bat. But, like, the, the theatrical, like, literally drops you right in with the Jay-Z and Linkin Park uh, club sequence, and you are deep cover with these uh, officers. And I remember walking out of Miami Vice and being, like, the only person in my group of friends 
uh, particularly the girl I was dating at, at the time was just like, that was fucking awful. And I was like, what are you talking about? That was amazing. Like, but like, I was the only one that, that kind of really vibed with that movie. Um, but black hat, at least, I don't know. It, it gets down to, again, a basic concept and kind of a theory. I floated on Twitter and you straight up called me a maniac for, uh, <laughs> is that it feels a lot to me like a redo of Manhunter to a degree to where it's very, with Chris Hemsworth playing both the Will Graham and the Hannibal Lecter character in one person. Yeah. I, I, I called you a madman because I loved that. And I could just smell all the real black hat crazies out there going oh i found jacob and they were just ready to cons- like consume your dms and your mentions for the next month yeah. i just wanted to throw it out there like smelling salt oh you re- literally there were so many people that smelled those salts man for sure <laughs> the the challenge that i've I, the challenge that i've always had with michael mann it's the same as like people have uh with with like a James Bond movie, right? I've heard the guys who love James Bond talk about this, where they go, I love James Bond movies unapologetically. Right. But there's a spectrum. And there's a whole bunch of moods that you watch those different movies. Some of them are like realistic. Some of them are camp as hell. Some of them require a bit of a detached view of like sexual politics. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's not contemporary. It's the time. And you're like, but even the worst James Bond movie, some people say, is better than most movies because I love James Bond movies. And I would say, because I'm such a man obsessive, that he probably has four or five movies that are absolutely perfect. Almost frame by frame perfect. What are they? Go. Heat the Insider. Thief. And I mean, you're only at three. You got two more, man. Yeah. Uh, the, the next one I would put in there is probably Miami Vice. And look, Last of the Mohicans is so unbelievably good. Yeah. But but it's like in that fifth slot, like Last of the Mohicans, maybe Ali, especially the most recent like director's cuts. I love of Ali. Um, it's it, you know Jericho. You could have some people going for Jericho Mile. Manhunter goes in that slot always. You know for me as well. Sorry, I don't know if I've already mentioned that. And then there's like the next tier, which are very good movies, but in my mind don't completely penetrate that top top tier which is collateral public enemies black hat and the challenge i have with some of the folk for you outside of miami vice yeah and some people put miami vice in the bottom tier as well that Mm -hmm. which is fine and but i think some people go actually just make the top five this heat the insider thief manhunter Last of the Mohicans. Let's say those five movies. Okay. And I would put Heat as the unequivocal number one and the Insider as number two if I was had to rank them because that's me. The only challenge or the main conflict I've come in with 
people who talk about Black Hat is some people come to me and they're like, it's Michael Mann's best movie. And well, as a person, as as a person who spent two years on Heap, and like maybe a decade of my life talking about it, I'm like, you can't say that. No. And and so that's where I think if you just approach it for what it is, you don't try and always constantly compare and contrast to the ways that he may have done it or executed on it better. You just have to kind of look at it in a vacuum and say, is this a good movie? And it's, I think with Michael Mann, that's a really hard thing for people to do. Sure. Well, and also with Black Hat, when it's tough to talk about a movie in terms of perfection um, that is so, uh, let's say, obviously flawed on a technical level. Because, I yes. mean, like, the sound mix on both cuts is wonky. The same way that Public Enemy's sound mix is very weird, which, I mean, a lot of people do attribute to the fact that man has been apparently losing his hearing, maybe, for the last few years. You've, um, you've, heard, you've got the same inside sources as me. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, um, who knows about that? Like, that could be 100% apocryphal or not. I also am like, uh, I have trouble with a lot of, that type of stuff just because man is such a technical perfectionist the entire time and such a tinkerer. Um, those, those flaws are still apparent in the director's cut. So like he clearly, something was lost in, in, in mixing that audio the whole way through. Um, if those were basically the only usable takes a lot of the other thing too, is like, I love Hemsworth. Mm. I, uh, I have a lot of fun with his performance, but like, his performance is odd at times, and particularly the accent. Um, I like it, but I it's don't really who doesn't. It's really hard as an Aussie to tell you just how much more unbelievably charming he is when he speaks in his own accent. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's akin to Eric Banner. Um, for anyone who hasn't had a chance, if you've seen Eric Banner, he made a documentary called Love the Beast about being a car obsessive. Okay. And it's his journey being a car obsessive and racing this terrible old car and like putting his life in danger because he loves this stupid old car and he races in it. <laughs> and when you watch that, other than maybe my other favorite performance of his that he did in the American accent, which is Munich. Okay. Which is kind of American Jewish. New Yorker. Whatever he's doing, that New Yorker. Yeah. He's doing kind of a, a, well, a similar Brooklyn thing. It's, yeah, uh, it's like Brooklyn, but it's European. Yeah, it's better actually, than Hemsworth, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he gets to lean into... I think his dad is Eastern European, Banner in real life. So he okay. kind of just sort of leans on that, and it just works. But the challenge I find, especially as, as an Australian, is you know him as an Aussie, and he, you can watch him thinking about the accent and trying to nail it in every scene in, in so many ways. It's like just this other layer instead of him going, I'm a hacker who's Hathaway and I'm Australian. Because I yeah. think I think even if there was a version of the movie where he was an Aussie hacker, exact same story. 
Except he was in prison in America. He emigrated to America and he was a, he's an Aussie that was in, uh, in prison there and he's just speaking in his own accent. Better movie instantaneously. Well, it also might fit better too in terms of like, because it's very much an international film. Yes. I mean, you have, you know, Chinese cast members, you have American cast members. It's, it's such a diverse movie that like having him come in and just be like, oh, he's an Australian hacker, like would possibly fit better. And especially he's an Australian hacker. He's made friends with another immigrant, a Chinese person who goes to college together. So it makes sense yeah, why that would immediately connect. Yeah. So like it, you have a point there that I actually never considered. I never considered uh, Hemsworth uh, Aussie background when when watching this performance. I think, and to be fair too, uh, it's mostly because like I mean the main movies that I know Hemsworth for are the Marvels. The, yes. the Marvel movies. Oh, and Cabin in the Woods, which he's also doing an American accent. Um, but I do want to cut in the other, uh, Eric Bana movie where he gets to do his Australian accent and you get to see how just insanely charming he is in that is funny people. The Judd yes. Apatow movie, which is also a flawed film, but man, and I don't like the, the whole sequence that he's in with the Leslie Mann character. And when Sandler goes back there, but when he comes in the movie, he injects a whole other energy into it that at least saves that portion for me. And part yeah. of it is because he just gets to be so natural and charming. Yeah. He breaks the, the circumstance. It's like, it's all very written. Yeah. And other parts of the movie have a lot of energy because they feel improvisational. And when the guys are doing their stand up, they feel like they're scared, not Sandler, but like particularly Rogan, those guys, they feel like they're like, Oh shit, I'm doing some stand up now. I have to actually be good at this. Yeah. which has a lot of energy and then it gets a bit stagnant in the middle of that movie. But Banner is so fun. He's yeah. so fun in that movie. Yeah. And when he's doing the, like the whole like Chinese, like uh, dinner table scene with the, with Apatow's kids. Oh my and, God. Wonderful. Like, yeah. But anyway, um, how do you feel about like accent aside and stuff? How do you feel about Hemsworth? Because I feel like, there is we, – we talk about this on the main episode, and it's one thing that I wanted to ask you about is that it feels like, as you're kind of bringing up with man's whole filmography, uh, there are actors who kind of understand how he likes to work with leading men, particularly the very silent, stoic, emotive – and almost uh, the way that he places certain actors within the frame and stuff to evoke an emotion as opposed to just relying on dialogue, monologues, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's other ones who, who really struggle with that. Like uh, we bring up Johnny Depp in Public Enemies, who very uh, kind of notoriously and publicly clashed with with man or at least voiced his his displeasure with the fact that like he couldn't 100% get into the way that man uh, directed his actors. But I feel like Hemsworth kind of gets it. I don't know if that makes it good, but it makes it interesting for me. Yeah, I think Hemsworth gets it. Yeah. I think you only have to watch Extraction, which is uh, – is that earlier this year? I forget what even year it is, Jacob. 
Yes. Yeah, that was the Sam Hargrave movie. That was yeah. earlier this year. I genuinely think it's his best performance by far. Really? It's his, it's his most emotionally true performance. And it's his both uh, – it sort of like takes his ability to convey emotions through action and physicality to its peak. Sure. So when I watch him now as that guy, I get excited because I think, oh, like the lessons he learned in Black Hat is only going to make him better now in his career. Okay. So what do you think the lessons are? What do you think he, that he did learn working with man? Unbelievable levels of preparation, a fastidiousness about understanding that you need to almost rehearse to the point, rehearse physical choreography to the point that it becomes organic and muscle memory. So like, for example, you know, in this movie in Black Hat, all he's having to practice is how to like touch type and not, and look at a screen and talk to people and continue to type code and those sorts of things. But you then go and watch him in Extraction and you watch this like really insanely choreographed movie that has really elaborate moves and tactics and weapons and fight sequences and physicality and so many long, long cuts where all of those things have to happen and there's lots of movement around and lots of people interacting. And I think he's the kind of guy that just knows that if he dedicates all of that stuff and he also knows how to, and and what I love about extraction is he doesn't do a lot of talking and to, to exactly your point, man is specifically a guy who when he's dealing with actors um, and when he's dealing with people like their ability to convey emotions wordlessly is as important as hitting the rhythm of the words that they do need to hit. And so, you know, you look at a Miami vice and you look at um, just all of the characters and actors there, you've got Colin Farrell doing this weird accent that he's doing, you know, Missourian accent in some ways you've got, uh, you know, Missourian through Irish, through alcoholism, you've got Gong Li phonetically learning how to speak um, part Chinese, but also have like a Cuban flair. Um, you know, you've got John Ortiz there um, but all of these actors have these massive moments where they know how that they have to convey emotion and just let things happen. And I think also with Hargraves, he did that a lot in the action, but as an action guy, if you dial back the dialogue and just let people emote, um, that's some of the best stuff in the movie. Really for me, it's some of the best stuff in, in, in Hemsworth. And, and again, man gets that with Hemsworth too, these contrasts, um, how that works. And I think that they're the lessons. It's like, you just prepare yourself to the inch within an inch of your life. And then, that preparation will make you look and make you feel right for the role. Um, and that's, that's like a Mannian thing. He, he's like, he's what I call a method director. Like he imposes method on every actor that he works with. And some people are from that school and they just go with him like peas and carrots and they will follow him like a soldier into battle. You know, Russell Crowe says, you know, when he was cast as, again, another Aussie that man has worked with, but also who did the accent outstandingly and, and, and committed to Jeffrey Wigand, he's like, Michael Mann came up to me, was talking to me about this movie role, and I looked down at the piece of paper, and while he was talking, it was really inspiring and all that sort of stuff, but he looked down and he's like, mate, this guy's 60 years old. He's 30 years older than me. He's from the South. He's this and that. I don't know if I'm the right guy for you. And Michael Mann put his hand on Russell Crowe's chest and said, I don't want you for what's out here. I want you for what's in here. 
And then Russell Crowe was like, I would go to battle for this man. I would fight. I would fight my life for this guy because he believes in what's in my heart. And I think that that's the man lesson. It's like, you know, all those other things, they need to become natural. But at the end of the day, it's really about, um, it's really about, you know, he likes people who can walk and feel like it's in their DNA, whatever they need to be. Well, I wonder if that, uh, to kind of, you do bring up a good point in bringing up extraction and Hargrave in general, because he's part of that entire, what is it, 8711 crew from like yep. Chad Stutsky and all those guys who famously, you know, put Keanu Reeves through uh, basically SWAT and heavy arms training and stuff to where I remember interviewing Chad Stolsky for um, John Wick 2 and how he told me that, like, you know, Keanu came into the John Wick movies and, like, he had ha- he had done, obviously, some some action stuff with the Wachowskis and, and some kung fu and things like that. But they told me he came in and he you know, didn't really have the weapons training, but by the time, you know, they had him done, he was shooting with like two and three gun champions and was able to do like jujitsu and stuff. And it's the same kind of, let's say method, uh, training that goes into the the idea or like the, the execution of great action because their whole, uh, philosophy is like, it all happens in the frame. Like if it doesn't happen in the frame, it's not real. You know, and that kind of is the same with man to where it's like he wants to see these people react and behave in these situations and these scenarios that he's creating. It's not supposed to be fictional. It's almost like you're you're existing in this universe that he's creating for for all of his characters and the audience. And that kind of creates it's I hesitate to call it a naturalism, but like at least a reality or a truth. Yeah. I think the truth is, I I, I like that, that it's a truth because it's, it's even goes back to like James Kahn and thief, you know, as Frank, he's, he's like, I was taught how to break into a lot of safes. He's like a lot of little safes, you know, he's like, you know, I went over to my sister-in-law's place and they had to, you know, she lost the code to a safe or something like that. It's like, yeah, I cracked it for her. And he's like, and he's like, when I use that equipment, when I use that equipment and he's literally holding the, those things and he's burning, you know, he's, he, he's using white hot metal to melt, uh, to melt other metal to, to, to break into this thing. And that huge set piece that sort of occupies the, the middle of thief. When he sits down with great satisfaction, oil covered, heavy, sweating, like dripping with sweat and he's having a cigarette just sitting there and like with deep satisfaction and watching as his partner's doing the finishing touches on that job. That's real. That's a guy who was just literally manhandling that insane thing, that insane heat contraption. <laughs> He's a guy who's sitting down having a satisfied cigarette. And it's like, yeah, that, that, like, Michael Mann doesn't need to tell him to act like Frank in that moment. He's putting the camera on him and he's rolling. And that's something there's a, there's a weird document documentary styling on that thing of like, if you prepare these people to do these things and they do things, um, the way that they execute them um, is so effortless and natural that it does come across in sort of a truthful and authentic way. It's like that, you know, nothing is truly authentic because Michael Mann has drilled these people within an inch of their lives to make it natural. But it's that it's, you know, anyone who's ever played a sport, anyone who's ever, 
really done anything, whether it's writing or anything, it's like that, that road work that you do every day that, you know, if anyone has ever, you know, heard of a boxer talk about it, like that road work, they get up in the morning in the dark, run in the dark. That's the first thing they do. They run whatever it is, 10 miles. And then they come back and that's before they do anything. That road work is to help them have the stamina and the fortitude late in a fight when they are getting punched in the face and, and their body is just reacting instinctively to know that they can handle it. It's literally a stamina tool. It's not about fitness. It is to some extent, but it's a stamina tool. And I think that that's what Michael Mann accesses. That's why he has an affinity for boxers and other levels of professionals and fighters, because it's like you just work until it's instinct and that's his kind of way and it's the way his pictures are rehearsed and all those sorts of things but it's just all it's all riddled through his work which is why i love it so much i, I think I, that's what that's why i deep have a deep affinity for all of the work that he does now how do you feel about the other team members in black hat because i feel like that's the other thing that i really gravitate towards in the film is that for me it's as good it's the teamwork that he puts in is more probably reminiscent of Miami vice to where again, a lot of these members of this squad that are put together uh, to investigate and kind of hunt down this rogue hacker who's, you know, taking down soy markets and stuff. Um, it feels like they're all defined by tiny moments. Um, yes. The same way, and that kind of stretches back to Heat uh, originally to where, like, we get to know, I mean, which is possibly the ultimate squad film, if we will, <laughs> yeah. uh, because we get to know two squads in that movie on both sides of the law, um, which is something that obviously man is, is kind of obsessed with. He loves these professionals. He loves professional teamwork and the way that these individuals kind of gel together in, in their own uh, achievement of a mission, but how do you feel the team in Black Hat ranks with the rest of the man squads? I, I, the fact that they're youngest squads in Black Hat, so the central trio, I'll call them, uh, so Hemsworth, Lee Hum Wang, or and uh, Wei Tang, so Chen, uh, Lian Chen, and then Dwai Chen, um, and Hathaway. That I think they have a tougher time because they're all kind of newish faces and they lack that familiarity and mileage. And so I think that that's a little bit harder. But what I do give big ups for Black Hat is just the sh the the burden that is inherited on a couple of other key players. One of them is Richie Costa, who's the like the the lead you know the lead supporter of our bad guy. Um, he plays Elias Kassar, who is amazing. Like he's his face hey, is amazing. So He's so good in everything that he's in. And he, Richie Costa has one of those faces that he's seen some shit. And so when you see his face, it's just like, oh, he's bad. And also he's killed people. And also he's seen everything. So he does that great. And I can't get enough of Holt McCallany. Like I can't get enough. And Viola Davis too. Those like, they are lifting. They're doing some heavy, heavy lifting. Obviously John Ortiz you know, I have a show, Miami Nice, with Katie Walsh. John Ortiz is a frequent subject of that show, um, and I love him to pieces. So, like, Viola, Holt, John Ortiz, Richie Costa, all amazing. Jurek Van Vernigen is um, – uh, um, Vanginian, sorry, um, a Sadak, is great too. But the, that quartet, Ortiz, Costa, 
McCallany and then Viola Davis. They're all doing big, big stuff. And I think that Viola Davis is kind of like burdened with the context of the world. And Holt McCallany is the kind of guy who is a throwback. He's a bit of a throwback. You know, he's like he's like the previous generation of policing right there um, on deck. And then you've got Richie Costa who like, you know, um, there's a great quote in, I think it was Skyfall, the Bond movie, um, sorry to mention Bond again, but it just it comes up as like he's talking to Q. And he's like, I could do more damage on my laptop than you could ever do in like 100 missions. And he's like, yeah, but some missions always need a trigger pulled. And that's yeah. what I'm for. Or not pulled, depending on what needs to happen. And so I think that... Richie Costa is the trigger being pulled, you know, like there's always, there can be a really smart and intelligent guy at the end. And I, I think the Holt McCallanies and the, and the, um, uh, the Richie Costas of the world are those guys who are there to pull the trigger or not, depending on what's going to happen. And so, yeah, I really like them. I think they're good. I look, I, I can't, you're never going to get me to say anything that heat isn't the two best squads almost ever in any movie ever. Um, cause it's my favorite film of all time. And I love, I can't get enough of Miami vice, but this is a good, the, the, the supporting actors in this movie, like most man movies are good. And John Ortiz, it tells you truly how great John Ortiz is and undervalued as an entity, as an actor, is that like, if you can get, get cast in three Michael Mann movies, you're doing something extremely right, especially as three completely different characters. You know, one is Jose Euro, who is an absolute lunatic. One is, uh, like as, as, as a police officer um, or in law enforcement in like the FBI, like making, you know, keeping tabs or NSA, keeping tabs on making sure that, you know, we're not spilling secrets to the Chinese government more pertinent probably this year than any other year. And, <laughs> and, and, and then also as just like a bit of a minder for the mob, you know, a minder for, for, for gambling and, 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 and the evolving levels of the mob, you know, on that, on that front line. So um, yeah, he's just wonderful. So yeah, they're doing a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. I do like the parallels between public enemies and uh, black hat in terms of men walking through systems and yes. like great visual representations where Ortiz leads Johnny Depp, um, his Dillinger through the, all those wires and all those people processing all yes. those debts and numbers and everything. And then you have something very similar uh, with black hat to where you literally watch Hemsworth and his team walk through a computer system and like a, a uh, almost like a database or a firewall. And I'm like, he just loves this visual representation of like guys working through systems, which is kind of his entire career. Yes. That's like as somebody who's so idiosyncratic and individual, but still has managed to work inside the commercial system the entire time he's worked. And at the highest level possible. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange one. I, I like to think of him. I like to think of man. You know, his most analog moment is in Heat when Nate is talking to Neil just after the opening heist of the film, and he goes, "Oh, Kelso called. He's got a score he wants you to check out." And then Neil replies, "What well, the fuck? I need his scores. I got scores of my own." Um, and that feels like Michael Mann. Like, what do I need their score for? I've got scores of my own, you know, like, like it feels like every big film company in the world may have at some point tried to throw something in his lap. And he kind of does the movies that he wants to do the way that he wants to do them. And just like Scorsese, you kind of forget. It's like, he works really hard 
He makes his movies his way. He's not a real darling. He's a darling of fans like us. Like, we love him, but he's still around. Like, I think the fact that his movies endure and they're such a rabid fan and fandom means that each new franchise of new uh, studio heads that come along are like, you know, everyone's talking about heat. I keep seeing heat online or everyone talking about black hat or everyone's talking about this. Like what's Michael Mann doing? Like what's he directing? Let's get him along. Um, and so, yeah, it's just one of those things that like, you kind of wish that he had the, and you know, it's things that he does seem to always get appreciated more in retrospect than they ever do at the time. Cause it's like people, you know, um, as much as, you know, you and I are people who love movies like Heat or Manhunter and things like that, it's like, you know, people get to reappraise Manhunter through the lens of the Hannibal TV show. And people get to reappraise Heat through the lens of, you know, The Dark Knight when it comes out. And people get to, you know, um, reappraise, uh, you know, reappraise Black Hat in lieu of like, oh, you know, have there been any hacker movies recently? You know, people get to go. It's just I think they just need to age a little bit. And then they appear on these streaming services and they go gangbusters. And then people are like, oh, this is actually, you know, maybe a little bit ahead of its time. And it's just one of those things, you know, Miami Vice took a while to come around. And now people, you know, can actually with a straight face say that it's one of their favorite Michael Mann movies, you know. So it's 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 the, it's just the it feels like the way of things with him. Well, it's also good to remember with man, it's a thing that we bring up on the main uh, Manhunter episode is that like Manhunter wasn't some universally beloved movie upon its initial release. Like it was a cult item for Mm. a long, long time. I mean, especially for folks who like loved and collected like Anchor Bay releases. Like that's how I saw it for the first time. Um, It was a, you know, a TV movie because there was – it was retitled. It was, I, I distinctly remember discovering it on television um, to where I saw the cut version first, but the title I saw hun, saw it under was something like Manhunter, the hunt for Hannibal Lecter or the search for Hannibal Lecter, but it was in the TV guide and I had already seen Silence of the Lambs. And I was like, wait, there's another Hannibal Lecter movie? This yeah. is but then years later, once Anchor Bay started releasing movies and everything, and they put that double disc, like bright red manhunt <laughs> out, is that then you went and rewatched it. And to me, for the longest time, and I think my dad had even told me this too, is that like wrongfully was like, yeah, Manhunter was a TV movie because he knew Man from like Jericho Miles. Jericho Miles. But like. Then it was wrongfully like, well, no, Manhunter was no, that was a theatrical movie. Those were, you know, that was a real movie, and they yeah. wanted to get, they wanted to give him Silence of the Lambs. Like the people who made the movie and had the rights, um, you know, look, you would, you would almost, it would almost be unfathomable, to, unfathomable to imagine Silence of the Lambs through, you know, not through, um, Jonathan Demme's prism, because <laughs> that movie is so about faces and claustrophobic spaces between people and just uh, it's it's still so striking and you i I don't know i don't know about you but like i forget you forget how damn good that movie is until you put it back on and you're like oh my god this is amazing too and completely different but i really genuinely love manhunter I, i i think there's so many shows you know like whether it's mind hunters whether it's i mean there's just so many shows the true detectives of the world they don't really exist without Manhunter and I I look at Manhunter and go there's just such it's such a it gives it gives the audience permission to have these 
wonderful asides that are tonal and emotional and that don't necessarily drive the story, but they're so quintessentially part of it. And then it gets you, it gets you inside the head, like really detective head mindset, like crazy profilers and also gets you to fundamentally ask the question so early on, like 86, like, is it really healthy for people to be consumed by like death uh, you know, like, especially the people hunting it, you know, is, is it really a healthy thing for these people to be consumed by death and crime scenes and decay and just, you know, absolute, just, you know, the most deplorable aspects of human society. Um, and, you know, now it's, you know, it's like literally the TV genre du jour for adults, like true crime and, you know, like serial killers and all the gnarly things they've done and Manhunter kind of catalogs, you know, some deep questions about it and some really gnarly perspectives and, and I, I, I just love it. And yeah, it's, it just does it so well. Like if, right from the outset, when, when, when Dennis Farina shows up as Jack Crawford and is negotiating on a beach with, you know, William Peterson, um, it's Will Graham. It's just like, this is as good as it gets. Yeah. And you also wonder if something like, uh, even a, as, as popular as, as CSI would exist without yeah. Manhunt, both in terms of like William Peterson being in it, but also you have these pop culture uh, touchstones now that are touchstones for like my parents yes. or like, you know, normal suburban folks who watch stuff like CSI. Oh, just NCI, NCI, NCIS and all that sort of stuff as well. Well, I was going to say like Criminal Minds. Too, yeah, Criminal Minds. Yeah. It's basically the entire concept of Manhunter, but on like a CBS, you know, <laughs> prime. <laughs> so now the other question I did have for you, the main one, and I feel like this is a controversial one when talking about man's work is digital. Is there seems to be a clear divide with people in terms of like, uh, let's say, the people who gravitate more towards his film, his work that's actually shot on celluloid. And then it almost felt like he lost some folks when he became more and more experimental with why, with making stuff, you know, it started with Ali technically, but collateral became the first mainstream one. And everybody was really into it because it was this revolutionary thing to where it's like, Oh my God, nobody's ever really seen LA at night quite like this. He's using this new technology to kind of uh, present a feature in an t- entirely new way. But he kept getting more and more abstract, and it felt like that's how he lost people. And even you, as a diehard man fan, have ranked a lot of those digital works kind of towards the bottom of your own ranking. Yeah. So where do you think – where do you think in the digital – is it the digital aesthetic that loses people, or is it – the storytelling or I think, I think it, I think it's a couple of things. I, what I think it is to start out with is with digital, it doesn't, it's not just for me, it's not just like the actual form. It's not, it's not, I I don't think it has really much to do with that. I mean, there are some people who are purists who are like, as soon as he suits on digital, it's terrible. And it's like, no, you maybe just don't like the movies because, you know, I, I think, his last truly like classical narrative probably is the insider like truly classical. Like if you're talking about 
someone would look at it as a script and go, this is a, a very classically told story. And that is absolutely not nearly classical in inverted commas. And then you get to sort of Ali and it is more experimental because he's telling a protracted version of someone's biography and biopics in general suck because they're so formulaic. But I think that, but Ali does something completely different with that is that it sort of focuses, focuses on sort of the beginning and end, you know, over a a 10 year period. It's like the most amazing entry point into any movie, the peak of Ali's career, you know, the, 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 the court case that sort of stops him from boxing and then, you know, reemerges back at the end of, of that career, sort of bookends of those, of his life or significant um, fights in his life. But I, I genuinely think it's just man growing out of, you know, as, as, as Al Pacino's character, Lowell Bergman at the end of the insider sort of walks into this flux of sort of that spinning uh, entry point into the, into the, building i think after that he's much less wedded to classical narrative than anything else like he does ali but then collateral you know has a great punchy premise it's something that's offered to him he obviously tweaks it to make it more in line with what he wants to do but miami vice is like in media res in sorry no i'm sorry you you have two movie stars in collateral at least dueling with each other too (laughs) which i mean makes it more maybe feel a little more classical than say the other stuff. Yeah. So classical, uh, sorry, collateral is always the great way to pivot with people. They're like, I don't like man's digital films. And you're like, you love collateral. And they're like, yeah. And you're like, so shut up. (laughs) It's just that you, so, so there, there it is. All right. It's like, just shut up. But I think with Miami vice, he was like, I'm, I, I think part of the impact of that movie and why people didn't like it maybe at the time is because, man really respected his audience's intelligence and the speed with which he could impart information. And he feels like if we're in media res, so we're just going to drop you in the middle of the story, you can figure it out based on what's happening. You'll find the center and you'll continue to progress through. And he was much more interested in like drastically updating the concepts of, you know, international criminal organizations in a contemporary context and being true to as true to that as is true to the emotions of his characters, then, you know, telling a traditional narrative. And so I think that that's, that's one part of it. And like, even with public enemies, that's really, you know, it's, it's him taking the themes that he's sort of done already. People immediately think our oh, public enemies is just going to be heat in the 1930s. And Miami vice is just going to be, you know, it's just going to be heat in Miami. And like a lot of people just like want that, but like man just doesn't, he wants to tip you off the axis and take you to these different tangents and threads of things he hasn't explored like public enemies is as much public enemies is much about infamy as it is about anything Mm -hmm. it's like a study on like narcissism and infamy and it has all of his themes and touchstones that you would see in his other work but you really have to like dial into that key theme of like someone who is off the reservation like really pushing themselves and driving like a plane directly into an eye of a volcano. Sure. <laughs> and so for me, like I love Miami Vice. That's my, that like one of my favorites. And so I, I don't, I don't prescribe that since Michael Mann made digital films that I don't like them because I love Michael Mann films. So I think I would argue tooth and nail that public enemies is better than, like 70% of gangster movies. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just is. Um, but formally, I might not like it as much because it doesn't have the same texture. Yeah. Uh, well, that's but, how I was going to go with it. We're like, Public Enemies I always found fascinating. I really like it. I kind of understand why people don't because you're shooting a period picture with this technology that man has even confessed himself that he he loves digital because of the immediacy that it, it brings to uh, the proceedings. It makes you feel in his mind uh, that you are there with the characters. You are in the, the these places and these spaces and these scenarios with these individuals. But what I always liked about Public Enemies is that it breaks that the, the, using digital to shoot a period piece almost breaks that sense of uh, tradition in a weird way yes. in a movie that's literally about an era ending. It's about the, as you put it, the, the infamous figure, the, the most notorious gangster of his age coming to terms with the idea that his days are over, his days yes. are numbered. And, the choice to use digital at the tail end of film to shoot that was always kind of fascinating to me and always felt thematically linked to the idea because it's man very much confronting uh, what if we shot a period piece with digital? What if we broke away from how people's brains are, are used to processing, like say, like Sergio Leone movies? Yes. Like, watch something like once upon a time in America and you love it because it's so lush and it's so uh, the, the film and the grain like captures a certain uh, level of detail and, and, and design that goes into it. And man's almost like, well, what if we shoot that with a digital camera and it lets you see literally the seams in the suits. It lets you hear the blasts and it lets you see how rickety these cars were and how loud they fucking were. And like, yeah, the sound design's not great, but I also kind of liked the sound design not being great because it reminds you that like you can't shout in these cars. Don't crash <laughs> out the entire time if you stick five gangsters in the back seat and one of them shooting a fucking Tommy gun like that. You're going to be deaf by the end of it. So that always sort of fascinated me. I mean, I don't know if that was the intent, but that's how my brain engaged with it. Yeah, look, my uh, a dear friend of all things One Heat Minute and One Heat Minute Productions, my friend Niall Schwartz, wrote an, uh, a book, a little yeah. like novella, called Off the Map, Freedom and Control in the Future of Michael Mann's Public Enemies. and. I, it, I, I own it as well. Uh, it's it, that it, Niles does something which I think is so incredible in that book, which is he he talks about um, the sort of Dylan, the fact that Dillinger is a turning point in American consciousness, as you know, in criminality. It's it's also so ripe for man to use digital technology he sort of equates the two together that digital technology um and using digital photography to sort of tell his story at a at a sort of nexus point of using film and digital is it, it like it's it it adds it has this like weird fusion uh together and our niles obviously articulates it way better in his novel than i did in that sort of 30 second description but i was always really taken 
um, with that, with his ability to talk about, you know, um, uh, historical truth and um, how people relate to one another um, and the use of digital technology and, 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 and man being on the forefront of at least that, that ph- philosophical conversation as well. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there's something really cool and incongruous and, and people are going to start talking about it again. Feel free for these conversations to start coming up when Mank comes out. So David Finch's film, you know, talking about Mankiewicz and Wells and the making of Citizen Kane, a movie that is so entrenched in the cult of real, in inverted commas, real cinema that has been completely shot and augmented digitally to create the same effects um, of old-timey cinema. Um, so people are going to talk about that a lot as well and I think it's a it's an interesting topic to keep coming up. But I don't think it has any stayed on stayed on the quality i'm much more interested about the philosophical reasons for using it for that particular subject matter sure and i mean even somebody like fincher as you as you brought up was also at the forefront of shooting uh, digitally with like the viper and things mm, like that mm, mm. Um, but he obviously was almost interested in presenting like something like zodiac as like how or Mindhunter, as you even mentioned as well, like, um, okay, what does the next era of period pieces look like that are shot digitally? And not necessarily breaking that, uh, the way that your mind processes it, but simply using a technology to replicate the same aesthetic that film can. Yeah, and I think that Fincher... Fincher kind of blew his contemporaries' minds away, which is way harder than audiences with something yeah. like Zodiac, um, because his contemporaries were like, I can't believe you shot that on digital because of the way that Zodiac was processed and and sort of the 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 way that they did everything they could to hide its digital augmentation in, in, in many respects is the way that, you know, I think that many people have aspired to use it since. It's like, okay, well, how do I actually how do I actually tell a, a really great um, story and how do I just augment it digitally without it feeling like it's digital? Cause I think that that's the challenge is like Michael Mann was kind of that, that kind of pioneer and that outlier at the beginning who was like really excited about the graininess and the digital photography and the lack of clarity, like in some respects, the lack of clarity, but the, the increase um, spectrum of light and the opening up of a whole like new you know nighttime dimension with something like collateral whereas other people are like oh no it's just grainy i don't want to look at it it's grainy and you're like well now in you know we've just now spent another year talking to each other almost exclusively through zoom chat so i think we can fucking get over a bit of grain you know what i mean <laughs> like it's just like we can it's totally fine to get over a little bit of grain yeah, I'm not looking. I'm not looking forward to the next generation of of uh, films that were shot during the time of coronavirus. There <laughs> Zoom chats. I'm gonna be like, you know what? I've sat through enough of these. I don't need to see them projected on the big screen if we ever go back to theaters again. That is, um, oh. but that's a whole other very bleak, dire topic. Uh, <laughs> but. I guess uh, the one last thing I do want to bring up in terms of talking about Black Hat is that it is the return of the great – I mean, from in my mind, again, it's the return of one of the, gr- the great uh, Michael Mann trademarks is the machine gun battle. Yes. Uh, which I think – okay. There's a lot of great instances of machine guns in Michael Mann movies. You have Heat, obviously, which is yes. like 
so good that they've used it to possibly train <laughs> like SWAT teams and stuff um, yeah. to where you you have uh, public enemies, which I think for all of the movie's flaws, and I know that that ranks towards the bottom for many people, myself included, still that cabin sequence where Excellent. They, Absolutely oh unbelievable. Yeah. The, Phenom the, a phenomenal scene. Yeah, but Black Hat, I think, might be some of the best action choreography that he has since Heat. Yeah, look, I, I'm a huge fan of that central gun violence scene. That is – that I think, you know, there are heart starters in this movie. If you're not really a man diehard and, and you can't go with it in my mind, you know, one of the moments that you will just go bip and something will, like, start your heart is this – exact sequence that you're talking about because it is brutal um i you know i got asked a little while back from like a student an international student was talking to me about having done heat you know was talking about me about gun violence because he does a as a text and i kind of detest movies where violence is like just gore porn for the sake of being gore porn um i i like things where you know how and you know that's actually one of the one of the things i think is great about john wick is in john wick when john wick shoots at someone they die and they're gone yeah. forever right yeah. there's none of this horse shit that like when you get shot you can bounce back do a backflip run away you've just got a graze on your face like when john wick shoots at your head and he's such an apt uh you know uh up a, a, an apt shot um you're gonna die and so one thing i really love about this sequence is the sense of peril um, that these guys are in immediately is that when you're in a gunfight, and that's why I think people really relish heat as an example of it is because not only is it insanely loud, not only is it, um, not only is it frantic, but the sense of peril for everyone who is involved is just so heightened that, you know, you're not even safe hiding behind metallic objects. I think that's what's great in heat as well. Like cop cars get chewed to pieces by, you know, automatic weapons. And these guys are obviously using special ammunition to like break through, but like armor piercing rounds through a couple of layers of shipping container through mushy human flesh is nothing. And so like, I, I, I love this whole thing of like, Guns are being fired, people are getting shot, people are getting hit, and you're just in a constant state of peril and anyone can die. And I think that's a really great gun battle because, you know, where you've got ones where people are flying through the air, and look, we all have time for Desperado now and then, but um, anything that is just kind of like gore porn or, you know, too, too you know, over, overly choreographed, I just don't have any time for it. And this, this completely is authentic and scary and and great for the way that it deals with like realistic true to experience violence. Yeah, but I think not to take issue necessarily with something you said, but you're there is it. something intrinsically beautiful about the the violence that that Michael Mann um, let's say indulges in the same way that I always thought that like Sam Peckinpah's violence is beautiful at certain points while also showing you just how truly horrible violence is. I mean, it's the reason why like somebody like John Woo, you know, uh, would in our hard target episode, we talk about how 
you know, when John Woo was, was directing Hard Target, he chose not to speak English. But while he was directing his director of photography, you know, he would literally say to him to give him the idea of like what's happening. He goes, well, this is the Sam Peckinpah shot. This is this because there are a few directors in cinematic history that have understood that gun violence in particular. And I think Chad Stalski, as you as you brought up, is another one who now kind of understands it, is that gun violence can both be beautiful and horrifying at the same time because yeah. like Peckinpah has famously said time and again that like he chose to to shoot the wild bunch in slow motion not because it looked cool but because it literally sh- he wanted to show what bullets can do to the human body yes and in the end ended up changing the way that cinematic violence is depicted for the rest of time <laughs> uh john woo you know obviously loves the way that violence can be choreographed and moves on screen and becomes a dance while at the same time as you bring up with john wick in john woo movies when you get shot you're dead like yes. you get multiple times and you are not coming back no uh, th- that's a good thing about john woo i'm not talking about like uh, action violence you know even something like the raid which is praised for its you know portrayals of violence does have a dancing aspect to some of the big choreographed fight scenes i'm just talking about there is a reality in Michael Mann movies and it's not without its own beauty. You know, look at Kilmer changing that magazine in heat. Uh, but I just mean that I love that the, the end result of the violence, there is such a consequence for violence in man yeah. films. And, and I think for me in movies where there is a, where there's a consequence um, that, that like that ups the stakes. Cause why the hell do you care? Like if they just, if, you know, if the guys in the heat, in the heat heist rolled through that heist with no damage or no deaths or no loss of life, and then they just escaped, it's a different movie. It's not the human drama that has aged perfectly over 25 years. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of naff. You're like, ugh, what is this? Like, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. But when Kilmer gets hit in the clavicle, you're like, oh shit, this is big. And when you know, when a bus stop gets shot, and then you see, you know, um, Michael Torito, Tom Sizemore's character, like then have like glasses cut his face, so he's running with blood trickling down his face. It's like, oh, like, oh, Ted Levine, bang, shot by Kilmer, like down the way, like, oh my god, people are dying. Like this is real. Like all this stuff, all this investigation. Once the guns come out, it's real. Like that's, and 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 that's the same in this scene as well, which I love. It's just like it's. It's really beautifully orchestrated, but man, the consequences are dire. <laughs> yeah, well, I do like that you brought you brought up uh, Gareth Evans as well yeah. because I feel like he's a guy who tiptoes the line between pornography and violence with his uh, yeah. with his particular brand of violence because he likes he and frankly revels in the. <laughs> that one human being can do to another human being's body with everything from their fists to automatic weapons. Because I don't know if you watched any of his new show. uh, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to see it. I'm dying to see it. And in Oz, I'm not sure where I can find it, but I'm going to look at it after this show. I'm not, I'm not going to ruin anything for you, but there are a couple set pieces in that, that are like at the top tier of the shit that he does. But they involve people shooting each other probably a hundred times. <laughs> Watching it, you're like, damn, how many bullets can one human being take? <laughs> and it's it, but it feels like him. He likes watching bodies get shredded. Like yes. that's 
just something that he's into. Um, but to bring it back to Michael Mann and, and your point, the one thing that I do like, and it's in the second gun battle in Black Hat, is um, you know when they, when they blow up the car and there's the entire like street shootout mm. and whole. Uh, McCallany is he's just taking aim amidst this chaos like there's two things that man does it's one he focuses in on how impressive it would be to keep your focus and concentration while all this chaos is erupting around you and be able to counter heavy caliber machine gun file with a pistol and yeah. be able to pick guys off like in the midst of it but at the same time once that machine gun volley uh, comes back at you and catches you in the leg, you're not just going to fall down. You're going to get lifted off your feet like you just got hit by a car. Yes. And like, Holt's character takes multiple bullets and like he's like, there's no coming back from that. It reminds me a lot of in uh, Miami Vice, one of my favorite shots, which I feel bad about saying because it's gross, but like there's that uh, opening heavy cal. Uh, sniper when you have the the handoff between the white supremacists and the undercover cop and once they run back into the car you have the heavy he literally will show yeah. you what heavy cow bullet will do does to, to, does to a car and a human body yeah <laughs> an arm off yes <laughs> but i mean it's it's the similar it's a similar philosophy being applied to two different scenes um that i also think the digital photography to bring it back to that, it is the one time where I 100% buy into man's idea of, of the immediacy and the realism that digital brings. Because like when I watch that, I on film, I can often watch blood squibs and I can watch gore sequences, particularly in horror movies. And I can go, OK, well, this is how the magic trick is being performed. But with that digital and the way that those bullets hit those bodies, like I watch it and I go – I don't know. Did they actually shoot Holt? Is he dead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is Holt McCallany? You just ring a friend. Is Holt McCallany dead? Has anybody heard from him lately? I just watched Black Hat. I know it's been a few years and Mindhunter is out, but that might be a clone. Uh, and 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 uh, you you say a great thing. We talked about Zodiac before. It's you know one of the most disturbing death scenes I think in all of cinema is uh, the 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 stabbing scene. Um, in Zodiac, uh, which happens, you know, close to the beginning of the film, but the young couple um, uh, are there on their picnic blanket. And I remember seeing that and I, I've never been so, uh, so affected in a movie theater, seeing that live when I saw it in the, th the theater, just, I, I couldn't believe how harrowing and horrific that was. And again, it's the consequences of violence are really, a really uh, um, impo important to me as a consumer of, things you know because i think we all can like sort of whimsical abandon but you know nothing infuriates me more nothing infuriates me more than watching like the rock fight vin diesel like i can't like i can't there's just two guys who should be breaking bones with every swing and or clobbering the other person to death and at the end of it like one guy's got three beads of sweat the other guy has four beads of sweat and they've just got a graze and i'm like that's that makes no sense um, well, and the baby oil. The baby oil is what <laughs> blows. 
Uh, look, if Baby Oil was that good, I think every professional fighter that we've ever seen would be would be so greasy in that in that ring. Um, but yeah, I, look, I don't know, but I, that yeah, again, I think we've just talked about that is it's it's sort of magnificent what people can do under pressure, and then it's also harrowing what what real true violence can do. And I think especially with gun violence, for me, I'm like. I really only like it if it's true, if it feels like it's harrowing. You know, like in Chinatown, one of the greatest American movies of all time, a little knife cutting your nose is harrowing. A gunshot from an automatic rifle should be harrowing. And when you see someone like, uh, 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 and then they're still around, you're like, stop. What are we yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah. No, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, not, I, I never, or I do hate the, the, the new adage of like now more than ever uh, whenever anybody uses it. But like we do live in a world now, particularly like uh, with me in America, it's just as much as I love action movies, I'll watch, you know, Steven Seagal break up arms or I'll watch Van Damme, you know, uh, kick the shit. I think, I think, I, I would just say nostalgia helps you consume all those things. You know, I do love myself a blood sport. I will watch, you know, uh, I will watch Seagal. We bring up Gareth Evans's movies and like, uh, it's the same thing to where like, I never feel any guilt watching them, even though I do think they tip to- toe towards yeah. being pornographic, but it's like, there still needs to be some thought put into the consequences of what that depiction means um, that I think is sometimes lost. And then it's what makes me thankful for movies like Black Hat or even going back and rewatching stuff like The Wild Bunch is that there are directors out there who are like, no, our sole job is to remind you that like this is bad. Like you can love the gunfight, <laughs> but the end result is the end result. Yes. So but. Blake, I did want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's You're welcome. Pleasure, as always. Uh, I'm, well, well, welcome to the Brotherhood of Podcasters, my friend. I know, right? It's so weird. Instead of just writing these words, I actually speak them. <laughs> <laughs> it, look, um, you, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. You, you, I'm, I'm dying to listen to the show put together. Um, and I'm excited for you and it does sometimes feel harder, but I think, uh, I think you, you've already taken the good thing, which is that you're talking about things that you love, uh, with people who love those things. So that's a good thing. Yeah. That's why I had to have you on. (laughs) Anytime, anytime to talk about something that I love anytime. Well, we're going to hold you to it. So, <laughs> you know, please uh, continue to stay safe down there. Uh, continue to churn out great content. I will continue to listen and read <laughs> and do everything. Um, having you and Travis as part of this kind of little uh, family that we're, we're building is, is an honor. So thank you so much. Look, um, uh, speaking on behalf of my internet husband, Travis as well, um, we're happy <laughs> to be part of your very, uh, accepting family. And, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we're, you know, we, we, we always love when we find our people out in the world and you're one of our people, man. So, um, best of luck with this. And, uh, yeah, we hope that people have as much fun listening as we have fun talking to you. Thanks, Blake. Stay safe. Love you always. Talk to you, bro. Love you. Talk soon. You're the best. Later.